Welcome to Meaningful Journeys, a podcast about pilgrimage. I'm Dr. Heather Warfield, and I am passionate about connecting humanity through our shared quests for meaning. In this podcast, I'll be talking with pilgrims and pilgrimage scholars. I will have conversations with people impacted by both ancient and contemporary pilgrimage journeys, and we will also hear from people who live at these sacred sites. This program is supported in part by Antioch University New England and the Meaningful Life Institute. Today I'm talking with Gilles Lajean, who is a battlefield guide in France, primarily of the First World War. And Gilles and I met over the, the past 12 to 18 months because of my interest in pilgrimages specifically to Bello and to Bello Wood, uh, which is the exact area where, where he grew up and where he has spent decades walking the battlefields and also leading families and families of descendants of, of the soldiers and Marines who fought here, as well as people who have an overall interest in, in this particular uh, battle site. And he's very knowledgeable about uh, the United States Marine Corps battle history, as well as the, the, the US Army and the US National Guard uh, actions in the area, as well as, as the French and German perspectives. And so we're going to delve in a little bit and talk about what makes people pilgrims to these battlefields uh, and, and what differentiates people from, from being tourists. What are your thoughts about what, how, what when, a, when a family contacts you and they're looking to trace their family history, what makes someone a pilgrim versus a, a tourist to a battlefield? First, they heard that they had a relative in World War I. And uh, of course, it's a question for them what he did, where he was, and what was done by the, the soldier of the First World War. It's their roots, family. So they have a huge interest to, to, to find all these uh, things. But uh, they expect to know just a little bit more about their family. So this, what I'm doing, can say that what I'm doing is to find all things as possible to be close from these people. Why they missing? Why they went to war? Where they went? What was the training? And what was the battle they participated? And what happened to them? And this is very intensive research that you're doing because you're looking at unit histories, you're looking at the terrain, you're looking at after action reports, yes. family photos, mm -hmm. letters. So it's quite quite time consuming for you to, to be guiding these families. Yes, but it's a passion too. And to enter in life of these individuals, I mean, you discover who they were, what they were doing before the war, why, why and when they enlisted, and you enter in the life of these uh, people. And of course, you have the family who request more information. And I, my passion is to give her everything as possible for them to understand what happened there. So this, uh, it's unique in the sense that 
people are searching for very specific information. And, and, and this, it is the specificity of, of the information, I think, that can that places these family members in a certain time and space and era in, in the history of, of the world, uh, but, but mainly the history of the United States, as so many of these are American families who are coming. What, what is a, a, a typical visit like for these families when they reach out to you? First, we walk together. Um, they gave me name of their relative, so from grandfather, great uncle. So they have practically no information in the beginning. They know, yes, they heard or they read our documents. He got some documents. He was in Shadow in Belleville, and the Argonne, and, and in different places. But for these people, it means not a lot of things. Okay, they can check on Google and what is the Argonne, but where they were, where they went, nothing. Sometimes it's happened, sometimes, that I, I, I tell the full story of a family with things that they will not imagine before. They never imagine. So some kind of information will make them close from a great uncle and grandfather. It's, uh, it's very unique. So they come for this. Of course, they never expect to be exactly where their relative was. They said, okay, if they come, by example, for Belo, they will come for Belo. Like many visitors are coming to the cemetery. They have sometimes a relative buried there or people did not die too, but they come to Belo, they visit the cemetery, they walk a few minutes in Bellwood, and that's it. The plus, plus, plus is to take them exactly where he has been, what he was doing, exactly the spot where his unit was, and sometimes where people died and how it happened. This is very specific. I, I got a lot of uh, a lot of people who are writing memory, by example, about you know you write book about genealogy or something, and they have, by example, relative who died in World War One. People who made a book, okay, it's photo, it's some document, family documents, sometimes not much, and they said yes, and this was my great uncle who died in uh, in 1918 in France. But after that, nothing. What I brought, I take people in the exact spot with all explaining all about the battle, what happened, where were the enemy, what he did, and how he died. This takes me a lot of time, of course. I remember a man coming from, uh, I can give you an example, a man coming from Colorado with his daughter. He wrote a very large book, 360 pages. But he picked up a lot of things from different documents that he found. From, of course, it's part from family. But the only thing missing was the exact location where his relative died. He didn't know. He got just a coordinate of a grave, temporary grave on the battlefield. But having no map from 1918, having no documents, nothing. So he came. He expected just me to, to take him to the close from the spot or into the area. And I was working for two weeks. I did not count my time. I found records, 
because I have a lot of military records and documents. I found exactly the location. Uh, what happened on that day, it was named of a German French where there were machine gunners who shoot him and his friend, where they had been buried. And I proposed to this man, I said, okay, to end your book, to have a nice thing about your relative, we'll try to find exactly where he has been buried, where it's happened, and to see the relief of the ground, I mean, the trench line, what, what they said in the citation. We left for five hours in the forest. It was private property. But doesn't matter for me, I was doing the right thing for, for this family. So we went there, daughter stayed in the car. She said, oh, dad, in two hours, you will be back. <laughs> it was in March. It was ice rain. Uh, we walk in the forest. I was a little bit disappointed because, you know, a lot of forest changed in Verdun. It was four years of battle, so the reef of the ground, the French line. Well, for four years, and just to find the position of American where for one week in all these benefits was not so easy. At last, we found the wood. I was working with the coordinate of the, all the grid from the map from 1980, German and US and French maps. I've been working a lot. We found the wood. The, the forester planted new trees. So we passed with bulldozer, filling the trench line. I said, no, all this for only such thing, not to see it. And finally, the position now was done and touched because my GPS, you know, it's not right to 10 meters, 20 meters. And we found the German trench line. It was called Tirpitz. It's incredible. And from Admiral von Tirpitz, so we call it Tirpitz trench line. And in the situation, they say that these, three, these few American, they were meant from the lost battalion. But the lost battalion went to one place in the Argonne, and these were on the side protecting the flank. They advanced through the forest, through the Argonne forest. After passing the first German line, we didn't find any resistance. And they came in an open space. It was a huge trench line in front of them. And unfortunately, two machine gunners were standing there. They were so surprised to see Americans going there in the Argonne forest. They opened the fire. So they had no time to use a rifle and everything. They were shot directly. There were two guys. It was, uh, I think it was the 28th of September, 1918. And they have been buried on the spot, temporarily, and then transferred to the Mozargon Cemetery. So with all these documents, I found the trench line. I have from original German map. The old man was tired. He sat on the ground, not far from the trench line. I was looking with my GPS one more time. I said, we are very close from the point what I recorded, all the research I did. I took my metal detector because I was thinking, yes, okay, but to find a grave, okay, we can find a spot to be sure that it's, this is a spot. I mean, this, uh, to do boys who are not buried with their full equipment. I mean, this cartridge belt and bundles of ammunition, rifle. So they buried them there. So we need to find something belonging to American, knowing that only two Americans were there, 28th of September. At 10 meters from where I sat, I was digging, not, not very deep. I found a full bundle with cartridges, 
Wow. Yes, not fired, of course. I think the stuff of the rifle were taken away, but this was exactly the spot where they took away the equipment and they buried them. We walked a few meters more. We found the location of the machine gun nest. We found the cartridge pirate from the machine gun. Machine gun is wow. relative. So we picked up some cartridges, we took photos, and it was uh, the last chapter of his book. Being proud to be there exactly on the spot to take the photo, and I can prove it. It was not uh, just to say, oh, they were somewhere there. No, this was a spot. So, more than one of the years after the war, it was exactly what was his relative and completed his book. Yeah. What do you think it is about the exact spot that is so important for people and for you? After it's different way for people, but sometimes they feel it. You know, it's like uh, we talk about ghosts sometimes, but it's like they feel when you tell exactly the story and you, you bring them on the spot, it's very important for them. Thinking about grandfather, great uncle was just right there yes. when something happened, not somewhere in the wood, but just on the right spot. It is what makes battlefield pilgrimages or military pilgrimages uh, unique in, in the greater scope of pilgrimages where there can be sacred sites or shrines, maybe over a well, uh, maybe uh, it, it is a burial of, of a saint, mm -hmm. but it is this, the, the particular spot that I think that where this energy is that makes yes. some of these pilgrimage sites mm -hmm. even more uh, powerful and imbued with energy, and and I think that this is exactly what's happening. Yes, uh, with these battlefield pilgrimages, particularly when you're you're retracing the steps exactly, mm -hmm. and and this changes people. There's yes. a, what what do people talk to you about that they feel at these places? You make the life the battle of the story and these people. Sometimes they never know him. No, they never know them because they were dying long ago or on the battlefield or they came back from the war. They did not talk a lot about the war. Most of them, they did not say all this account of battle and all these places. So it's like far away when they're in the US, when they are going to this place on the battlefield with all of the research I do, it's like it's make alive suddenly. Memory of their grandfather, great uncle. This is very specific. What does it, what happens for you when you have done, done all of the research and, and looked at documents and records and photos and unit histories, and then you are at the point of, of bringing a, a descendant or someone who is searching for the family? What is that like for you as the guy? It's emotion too. And it's like I'm feeling, um, uh, it's for my, in my head, it's like I'm with these people and I see exactly what happened, you know, on that spot. It, it, it's, uh, I, I can't explain it completely, but uh, when I do all this research, all this documentary and all these things, when I'm standing in the trench line, it's like I saw the enemy and I'm with this man on yeah. my side and I see what happened. Yeah. yeah. You, you fill a very important role in terms mm -hmm. of 
being the you I mean you're embodying uh this connection between the present and the past Mm -hmm. and 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 the information that you are giving to people who are battlefield pilgrims uh or 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 family members who might not consider themselves pilgrims um it it's important and and what goes on in your head uh in terms of how you present the information to families i just want to help families you know it's my my goal it's uh, all the time so to make alive these people also to uh to the families one thing is important for me too so many people died during that war all aspects of the war but i don't want people to think that they died for nothing so from the simple private to the lieutenant captain i want to uh, to show to the family what was their role during that battle why they died and to bring importance of what they did because sometimes i have a lot of people who said oh world's war we died for nothing but he died for what how so it's what I want to bring to family and especially thinking about these people because after this, it's okay, it's family on my side. But when I got the photo of a young man, 18, 19 years old, who died there, I'm mostly on the side of this young man and telling his story and saying to the family what he did and how it's happened. Then to especially all, on the side of all family because family don't know him often they don't know what happened they don't remember but i'm i'm like a ghost you know to bring your life it's like he's uh, the member of the family was telling to his family what i was doing there and what's happened and how i was feeling you know it's it's very specific so it's almost like you are you are bringing the the person back to life and speaking in that first person mm-hmm. to give the family yes. the information like you see in the film with major Cole. yes the two daughter the two granddaughter of major Cole never came to france and of course it was difficult to understand but he was an officer and an officer died in the battlefield picking up a grenade to explode in his face i mean for people who read there on the other side of the of the ocean, okay, he did this, but what for? I think that the major can take a grenade and explain grenade. No, from military terms, it's, it seems like it's stupid things. When I enter in the life of Major Corps, reading all his life, the granddaughter sent me all the life, he wrote to his wife and uh, everything. We went to Verdun, for example. He picked some flowers to send to his wife. There were blue flowers growing in, in spring on, on his dugout. So we never imagined what it was. When I went there the first time, I found his dugout, location where he was. I found the same flowers still growing there. I was not with the, the daughter Paul at the time in spring. I was to organize the bathroom. So I picked up the flowers, the same that he wanted to send to his wife. Later, I will give to the granddaughters. I mean, from his letter, it was all this information and all became alive. 
When I was in Bellawood, I was showing them, trying to find why, why he died such way. And I was showing the location of the young marine being stuck by machine gun nest, major call going. And we found the resin. I said, he had to stay in his uh, command post. He was a major. So why a major went so close from the fighting place? And I mean, he's an officer. They need him to, to give order to the units and the battlefield and everything. But what very human guys, he, he went himself. And when he picked up the grenade, I was showing to the granddaughter, just because young Marines were digging, he didn't want them to die because the grenade falling there in their position. He was trying to save them, pick up the grenade and trying to throw it back. But unfortunately, it exploded on his face. But it was giving a sense of what he was doing and why he died on that day. Of course, never bring back the people, but it gives a sense to what he was doing. And these two women, this uh, granddaughter, saw it differently. You know, they saw this action, they understood fully what he was doing. It was like kind of, uh, we can say heroism, but heroism is a big term. <laughs> like, you get a medal, you are an hero. You don't get a medal, okay, you are fighting, you are not an hero. If you went to the war in this battle, you were a hero. Medals are not medals. Dying or wounded or not, you are one. And I wanted to bring all that story for them to understand what they're granted. Who he was, what, how he was humanist in, uh, with his uh, men and everything, and what he was doing. So it's open another view. Uh, about their relative. Yeah. How did you first start leading families? I, mean, I know you've been going to the battlefield since you were a young child. In, in uh, I think it was in the 90s, 92. Yes. My first client was uh, a guy from uh, New York, Rochester, New York. And uh, he was coming for problem with cameras. It was plant in Lyon, near Lyon. He was coming he was from, uh, for problem with the cameras, uh, making and everything. And I opened a small page on the internet uh, to help family. Uh, we had a relative who fought in the different division, I, I mean, US Army Division, Marine Corps, all these divisions fought there. So I was not sure that people know what I'm talking about. So I put the patch, the photo of the patch and everything. If they have a photo of a relative to recognize, oh, okay, this patch, it was there. So it was really from my uh, small things on the internet. It was not a lot of things, two pages. And uh, he said, my uh, granddad was in Chateau Thierry. So ah, I started an interest. He was third division US Army. And he was fighting on the Marne River. I said, wow, on the Marne River. So I lived there. My family was from there. So maybe I can help you. He was not speaking in French. I was not speaking too much English. He said, OK, I will come. We meet us. And maybe we want to tell each other. And I was able to find the unity story, the company story. So a small segment missing in, uh, in all this. I took him on the mound. 
exactly where his granddad was. We stayed friends for many years. I remember he has two small daughters. My granny was sending gifts to daughter for Christmas. <laughs> yes, he was so proud that I was acting American. So this was the first one. Then after, they were coming slowly. First, they were asking for a lot of requests. I had too much, but I could not respond to all people. You know, in one, uh, about in one month, there were one, more than 100 requests to know about their relatives. From one month from when you first put yes. the, the ad? Yes. On. Wow. I got a lot, a lot, a lot. So, but I'm like perfectionist, you know? Mm. I don't want, if I can do, I can do it. But if I do, I try to find, to find all information, the small things. I try to go till where I can go. I mean, with the documentation I have. So it takes a long time. And at the time, it was not, uh, I did not get money. I did not ask money for this because I have a job. I say, I do it on my side. It's my passion. So at last, after some time, I could not do all things. But all these people who came, uh, I was trying to do the best. All the time, I do the best thing I can do. Sometimes I can't, I'll tell you. Sometimes it's not the... the exactly the spot, like I told you, but I tried to do the best thing. So it started in 1922, 1992. Um, then around 1997, uh, I did for the Marines. I met a group of Marines on the battlefield going in Bellwood. So I started to do for the Marine Corps, a lot of things, a lot of tours for retired Marines, active Marines. Then I met uh, some other units like the third division, 26 division. I met the veterans from the 26. So I was doing a lot. 19, uh, 1998, it was the uh, anniversary of the Battle of Bellawood. So I, I'm in Bellawood, I said, it's such an anniversary, it's such, so important for Americans, but nobody's doing something there. Except this reception, this politics, this bad honor. I said, I need to do something. So I had already a big collection. I did an exhibit in the town hall of Bello. And the day before the Memorial Day, I did a presentation to the French. But, I, you know, I was a little bit lost with the French and all this charge of work. Huh? I took off one week from my work to build everything. I got the support of the French army. He did everything, so it was a lot of pressure. The next day, I had to uh, meet the general, uh, the chief of the French army, five-star generals, eight French generals, the commander of the Marine Corps, seven Marine Corps generals, embassy of the United States. So it was the first time for me, I yeah. such event. But I did a nice presentation inside the town hall of Belo uh, about this battle. And I did not want to forget about the 26, because a lot of people say it's Bellwood, Marines. No, they were army units. They were French fighting before them. They were army units. They were the Marines. In the second US American division, you have army troops in Marine Corps. And what a lot of people forget, but Bellwood was retaken by the 26 American division. So nobody was talking about the 26. Just the only thing, it was mess in the church, the Yankee Division church, yeah. but nothing else. So I did an, uh, 
in, in June, of, for the Memorial Day end of May. I did it for the Marine uh, in Belo. On the 18th of July, 1998, I did a presentation in the Church of the Yankee. A special exhibit for the Yankee, explaining to all these people around who did not remember about the Yankee what they did in this uh, Yankee division. So this was 1998. I got a lot of success uh, being all this. So for me, it was making me stronger. Because before you are a little bit shy, huh? you are going to meet all these people yeah. you don't know, maybe, maybe it will be okay, maybe not. Uh, but make me strong. After I opened another uh, site, the same few pages on the web, I continue to get a lot of requests. But I did a lot of tours for military, for, especially for the Marine Corps, because there were not a lot of army units for the Marine Corps. And then after I turned part of my objective to help the families. Because for me, the beginning was a was based on two things. First, I was doing a lot of research on the battlefield. I found all these personal items on the battlefield, but sometimes it just messed it. Canteen. And cleaning them, I found name cards on them. Mm. I said, wow, it's named there. So he has probably an history. Who he was. If he died, he died, he came back to the US in what unit he served. Why I found that stuff there. So I started to do this research myself. So everything I found with a name, I put in a box with a date, with, like archaeologists, you know, everything was recorded. And after I said, okay, but I can't talk to the dead. I found their stuff. I need to have interlocutors. So why I will not do for families? Mm -hmm. Because with the families, I will make the link between this man and the items I found on the battlefield. So I turned my objective to family. It was working fine too. As soon, sometimes you can't find the families because they were moving across the US, but sometimes you are lacking. And then in, uh, in, uh, in the big centennial, so we presented the famous film where it's explained mm -hmm. who I am and what I, I was doing and uh, getting more people. 2008, I became an honorary Marine, you know. So the same, I did not understand first. Okay, it was a huge ceremony, the commandant and everything, <coughs> bringing me a big frame, pinning me the King GA gold on my tunic. But for me, you can be an honorary from a honorary for an association for a thing. I, I did not understood at the beginning. I was happy, of course. I never asked for anything, any reconnaissance, except when I do for the family. The reconnaissance comes itself. I, I don't ask uh, these special things. But this happened. I, understand, I understood the next few days when I got more than 300 messages from everywhere in the world. Active Marines, retired Marines, old guy from Iwo Jima. Say, welcome, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Marines. And this was very specific. But when uh, we did all this, 
It was already 2008. I was already famous. I was invited to Marine Corps Ball everywhere to do presentation for the US Marine Corps Europe in Germany, Stuttgart, bringing all mannequins, making exhibits, uh, telling the story because some of these men, they could not come to Bellawood. And uh, especially I went to do presentation to our Marines, wounded Marines, Air Force and Army coming back from the war in Iraq. They were in Lenstuhl Hospital in Germany. So they were the TV from the, the Army Forces and the Marine Corps, and I did a special exhibit for them because no opportunity to come to Bellwood. Then it's continued to grow. At last, I was working in mechanic. I had to take four months off my job to work with Americans. So sometimes I had no weekend, nothing for a year. And uh, after we were shooting this film in, uh, in the US. This film is very unique because, uh, of course, I was not asking to do a film. <coughs> but these people who come with me, it was girl from Chateau Thierry. And uh, grandfather was a um, provisor of my school when I was a young man. And this uh, man, not knowing me especially because, you know, provisor of college, meet a lot of people. But when I was uh, what, 15 years old, or 15 years old, we are talking about the war in the college. I did a presentation. It was my first things uh, about Bellowood, but for locals, I mean, I was surrounded with children from farmers, from local people. So when I told about the place, they know exactly what it was. Yes. Small village, a farm. Uh, and they did a nice presentation about uh, Bella Woods and telling about the Marines, American soldiers, and the French. When I did this in the college, the provisor was enjoyed it very much. He came especially, and it was a granddad of this young woman. And she didn't know about me, and she, when she was young, she went to Bellawood to do bicycle to his parents to work in the wood. And she could not feel the battlefield. Okay, she saw the hole in the ground, but nobody was there to explain. Mm. The parents know. And when she came for a tour with the French tourism office, she was, she said, I, I just come to get some information. I would want, I would like to do something about Bellawood. But I don't know what. She made the School of Cinema in Luxembourg. So we went for a tour. The tour was scheduled for three hours with a group of people. She stayed for six hours. When she left, she was fully involved in the battle. She said, you make alive everything. I never imagined what happened there in Bella Wood. So now I want to make a film about this uh, man who fought there. This is how it was starting in Spain. By shooting a lot of hours, changing a lot of information, but it started with. She called me and she said, Are you, do you agree to make something? It was what, two or three days later. I said, of course. And uh, she had to think about the Marine Corps. She didn't know the Marine Corps, nothing. So I, I, I got an invitation to the Marine Corps balls in Paris. Mm -hmm. I was a guest speaker. And I said, 
my wife is not there, but if you want to come for your reportage and to take some shoot and to talk with them, to see the tradition for the Marine Corps, so maybe you can come. She came and she saw what was the ball in tradition. And after she was fully involved in that story yeah. for a few months. But before that work at the college, I did, uh, when I was nine years old, I have still this book, nine years old in Chateau Thierry at the school, the same, we talk about the World War I, and I have the opportunity to meet a veteran from the World War I, he was former director of my school, he fought at Belo with the French army, he met the American soldier and Marines, so I went with a big recorder, you know, his face, <laughs> large, I went, to meet him, he was living not far from my grandfather in Chateau Thierry, and we went to meet him and uh, to ask some information about the war or if he could tell us something. And it was very, very impressive. We were very young. <laughs> I didn't realize that you had this firsthand experience with a World War I veteran who mm -hmm. was at, mm -hmm. at Bella Wood. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. It's the first time I heard about Bella Wood. I was 10 years old. So at school, we used some documents, but not a lot. And this old man, he wrote all his memory. So it was in the public library in Chateau Thierry. As soon as he said me, I wrote something. It was something, some specific place, huh? like uh, a triangle, triangle near the Paris Metro. Yeah. So he had been fighting there with his unit. He knew the farmer who was an ancestor of me, who owned a big farm there while the sixth Marine was coming. And he told about this young American and their hole, what was left in the wood, how they fought and everything with his work. It was not like military unity story. But as soon as I met this guy and he told me about, for the first time, about this Marine, this uh, army soldiers and everything, I ran to the public library. So I just in front of my granny. I ran to take the book, but he wrote, and I learned a lot of things including he wrote something about the occupation of Chateau Thierry by the German in 1914, in September. So all story by family, what, was, what happened in Chateau Thierry. So I was really passionate. And my teacher took me with a class uh, on the American Memorial of our looking Chateau Thierry mm -hmm. in 204. At the time, we tried to go with a teacher, no specific authorization. I went there. Of course, I was working in the field. When other friends were looking, ah, it's the memorial. No, I was looking in the ground. It was a cruel field on the side. Mm -hmm. I found shrapnel bullets and everything. So when you are shy, okay, ah. <laughs> but after, okay, you can keep them, you can give them, it doesn't mean anything. But when I was in front of the memorial, it was so impressive when I was asking to my teacher, and what, what, American was there? What they did there? Why such memorial about Chateau Thierry? And he was not able to respond to say me anything. In the French book of history, you have a small, small chapter about the American. Mm. And mostly the Argonne forest, the big battle. But nothing about Chateau Thierry. So I started everything from there. I never stopped. Nine years old. <laughs> so at age nine, the whole world opened for you. Yes. Yes. And I had also my granny and my grandfather. My grandfather was a veteran World War II. He was captured by the German and Maginot Line. After he came back to work on the control of uh, 
He went back to, to work under control of the German in Chateau Thierry, but I was lucky not to be killed or to be sent in Germany. My uh, other family told my granddad, he told me one time that he was evacuated in the last train for Paris in 1918 when he was, uh, he was uh, four years old. My granny, we are we are the big farm in the Marne Valley, the same, they evacuated just before this offensive from uh, 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 June 1918. And both of them, when they came back in this area, they met American, mostly engineers or these troops from the rear, uh, from the rear, not these fighting troops on the battlefield, but they all of them remember this American. So they told me good words about American people all the time. And in World War II, the same. World War II evacuated my granddad prisoner. And in 1944, August 1944, the Americans were coming back and liberating all this area. So my grandfather was accordionist, he was playing accordion, and he was playing the ball of the liberation of Chateau Thierry in the main place. He's American. So all the time I heard about this American, I said, who they were, <laughs> what they were doing, <laughs> and everything. So both, they encouraged me, less my grandfather, but mostly my grandmother encouraged me to learn, to continue my work, my good work and uh, with these people. Say, you need to remember about them and what they did for us. So it was encouragement on one side. My grandfather took me to Verdun when I was 10, because my granddad did not like the war. Of course, he was a prisoner, he was fighting, he saw so many people killed and he did not want to talk about the war. And he said, oh, my grandson starts an interest for the war. So I will show him what is the war. Took me to Verdun, 10 years old. <laughs> so what did you find in these battlefields as a chi child? Not, not just artifacts, but for who you, what did, what did being amongst uh, these, these heroes do for you as a person? Well, at the beginning, it was just like a collector, like a yeah. voice, you know, running yeah. for items. After I wanted to know what was his stuff, belonged to what army, US, French, or, or German. And then after, the main thing for me, what makes the difference between a collector and historian? This is very important. You can be a collector all your life to put pile of stuff everywhere. But I pass over all this, okay, I collected stuff and everything. But the main important thing is why this stuff is there, what happened there, who was using it. And you start to dig in history and you start to learn about people and you start to be really involved, like you are close from these people and looking for what they were doing. This, this makes a difference. And this starts very early. As I said in the film, when I went to Belo Wood, it's, uh, it's life. I think until I died, it will be such. The special thing to be alone when I was young, walking through Bella Wood, these special odors inside the wood. It was like fog a little bit yeah, mm -hmm. inside the wood. All these trench lines, these dugouts, all these things around. I was feeling something. I can't explain exactly, but I was feeling something. Like men were looking what I am doing there, this ghost. And so it was uh, very specific and I think all, I, I turned my interest for all these things at that time. 
no way just to pick up stuff and to no it's this uh, fully different thing but it's always very difficult to explain the patient do you have a sense when you're there i mean it sounds to me the the imagery that i'm imagining when you talk about the fog mm -hmm. and the men looking mm -hmm. that there's a sense that you're communing with the dead with with the Sometimes, yes. yeah mm -hmm. what is that what is that like for what, what does that feel like for me, I said many times, people can't understand sometimes what I'm, what I'm doing. But for me, all the day, all the time, being in this place, I have a flash. I see people. I see people in the French line. I see the bombing. I see people moving. And yes, it, it's very specific. It's like I'm going back in this time, in that time, and feeling what happened exactly, but seeing. Although when I took when I take the road from Chateau, okay, it's a road, it's a main road. Everybody's looking about driving. No. Me, I see convoy of trucks, men walking along the road, all this flash all the time. Because I'm so <laughs> included in, include in this uh, story for so many years, it's such. Yeah. This is very special. Mm. But it's always difficult to explain because you know it's it's gone from passion. Thousands of people who meet me, they feel my passion because I'm able to communicate with patients. Some guide, they are just, okay, they show you the place, the monument, the cemetery, but you, saw, you see this place, but it's not make everything alive. It's, it's a little bit different. When you are fully passionate and you can transmit this passion to people, so they never forget. I can certainly attest that mm -hmm. that it is a contagious passion. I'm thinking of two examples uh, that have occurred over the past six months. One, when we were in Bellawood together mm -hmm. and, and you were talking to me about sharing the story um, mm -hmm. of, of several of the, the Marines who are still missing. And we mm -hmm. Um, yeah. in, in the location where you mm -hmm. believe them to be, we, we discovered two shell casings, mm -hmm. one German, one American. It was very powerful yeah, for me. Um, it, and it, and it, and it was just a moment of, of serendipity. We didn't, mm -hmm. we were not looking for the, mm -hmm. for these, um, shell casings and they just happened to be there after after the rain mm -hmm. um and then the other the last time we met uh, you had a, an officer's overcoat mm -hmm. for um a, yeah. an officer of the yankee division and yeah. we yeah we were mm -hmm. able to identify mm -hmm. uh who he was and i got very involved in his story yes this is very special too it's not an overcoat like other now. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for the name for all these things. Yeah. It's really fun. What I, I said to you, it's, it's very special. I feel it when some people are just looking for a memorial cemetery or something. Me, it's not. Not such. I'm working in the battlefield. Like maybe few people do it too the same way. They feel it. But yeah. it's very different. Last time I did, uh, I have uh, clients who come with me, imagine 10 or till 6, 10, 15 years later. They say it was the best tour of our life mm -hmm. to work on the footstep, I mean, for their uh, relatives. They never forget. I mean, this is unique, although to 
because sometimes you take a tour, you go somewhere, okay, you have good time for, and, and then everything go away. No, no, these people, it's, uh, it's very special. Because I was making it alive, I was, uh, I said, you, it's like a story, it's like you, the relative was close from them and telling it. I was there, this happened and everything. And they're looking somewhere to their grandchildren, great-grandchildren. This is special. And I'm, I'm very happy when I can do that. I mean, for the result. Because it's like you transmit something from the past to the new generation. This is very important. Yeah. Not to let this in a box float somewhere, but to make it alive and to transmit uh, all these uh, things. Have you noticed any... Uh, changes in in what people are searching for over the past 20 years? Has that changed at all? Are the questions people are asking, are they the same or have they changed? Maybe some more people now because uh, before the World War I in the US was not. Okay. Very, yeah. They forgot about it. Now so it's more precise because we have internet, we have a lot of things. Uh, and then it was a centennial, few films. So they are looking for more information. And by the past, some two, uh, 20 years, 30 years uh, ago, sometimes I did not have enough. I, I have the knowledge, but did not have access to this document like now. It's a national archive and, uh, and crossing this document. I have more than 2,000 books. I have unpublished accounts. I have uh, 100 maps, battlefield, maybe more. German, French. So now I'm more uh, checking for this exact spot. But I did a lot. After, it's a personage himself. You know, as I said, you people can go. I, I went with Gide in different places. You forget about them. Okay. He's Gide. <laughs> he took me there, 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 there. But I did not feel something special. Except when thinking about people who are fighting there. But this, you know, these people, it's very, very, very specific. It's, it's my patient, so you can explain. You don't have to play a role to, to, to force you to do something. It's come directly, and you can transmit to people. This is nice. Do and you... when I was young, I was very shy. <laughs> yes. But very shy till nine years old. Nine years old when I made this first uh, booklet for, uh, for my teacher, then after 13 years old in the college, I had sometimes this episode. I was so passionate that I was talking, transmitting everything. But generally, when I was young, yes, I was very shy. I never thought what one day I'll go to speak, like I went uh, in America to do some speech, some presentation. Uh, with all this assembly of people. But I'm so passionate, I said, anyway, doesn't matter. It's, I need to do it. I will try, I will do it. There's very much a sense that I have when I'm around you that this is your life work. This mm -hmm. is what you were born to, to do, yes. to contribute to the world. Yes. When I lost uh, my job in mechanic in... Uh, 1997, my company closed, so I was an employee worker. I went for interview. There were hunters for heads, for people. And I met uh, the director of a big agency from us. 
Originally, she just, just wanted to teach me how to do curriculum vitae. She thought that I could not do it. Of course, she didn't know about me and everything. She said, oh, the mechanic, low level, maybe. So I did one time, and she said, why are you there? It's perfect. And we started to talk about my passion. Of course, <laughs> I bring everything. Yes. And she said to me, and why you are doing mechanics? You have another talent. You need to do something and to live your life with your passion. I did not listen her. <laughs> yeah. so I had to do it directly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because she was feeling all this. And she's this uh, for hunting people, for companies, for uh, yes. It was a shame. <laughs> Where do you see the, the future of this guide work going? You're continuing to work with families. I will continue till I'm this pensioner, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yes. But after I need to transmit to somebody else, not to lose all this. So maybe, I don't know. I don't know. For now, I'm still there, I'm still doing it. You yeah. <laughs> can't say. But it was difficult with this COVID period too, because it's your job. And uh, when you have no job because it's pandemic, everything is closed and no tourists and lockdown. So it was not easy. I was thinking after I said, hmm, maybe I need to go back to the mechanic. I said, never. <laughs> it's small voice inside yes. my head. It said, never. You've crossed I was that. so frustrated to have such talent. Helping families, thousands of families everywhere, all these American people, thinking that I, I, uh, I was working with the President Theodore Roosevelt family. One branch is very friendly with me, and he became, became like friends. Uh, I, uh, I was meeting the son of the President Eisenhower, was helping for, for his book for World War I. And so many people, and very important people too family of president of the United States. And I said, I did all this only with my passion. And people came to me because they were feeling that I was passionate. It's no relation politic or something such. And I said, I was spending my time to do this mechanic. <laughs> it was, you can't imagine, it was, uh, sometimes I was doing two for two, three days with family, American families, going on the battlefield, bringing them so much of this information. Then when I was coming back to my job, it's like you fell from a ladder, boom, mm -hmm. on the ground directly. Mm -hmm. It was frustration for two days, <laughs> could not sleep. And mm -hmm. I was, uh, so I said, no, I need to do this till the end and, and to spend my full time to do it. So the only one. How can people uh, who are listening, how can they find you now? Do you have a website? No, I'm still trying to do it, but it's not easy. I'm not a programmist. So yeah. I started to do something. But <coughs> now I need to do it to complete. It's already done. It's three pages done. <laughs> you just need to get. What about email? Can people contact you via email? Yes, yes. What is your email address? Uh, Gilles. Gilles. Yeah. Okay. Write it. Gilles. Yeah. Dot Lajan. Uh, arrobes, wanadu, dot from. Okay, I'll put it on the description of this episode yes. so people can find you if they're mm -hmm. interested. Sometimes they found me because of or Facebook or WhatsApp or um, different things were published everywhere. 
but it was this. An American historian did something about me, put my address at the time and phone number, but of course everything changed now. But I started on Wix to do these pages. It's a very interesting thing. I stopped it. I had time during the pandemic, but I was so disappointed yeah. by everything. I had to run everywhere and uh, no, I did not do it. Now I will do it because I need to leave from this station too. Till the end. So, well, there are a lot of people who who became more interested in their own family genealogy because of yes. the pandemic. They had time. So many records have been digitized, mm -hmm. and so I think this is is a great time. And now with travel opening back up, um, this is a really meaningful type of travel for people mm -hmm. to. Um, learn more about their families yes. and also experience French culture mm -hmm. and French hospitality. And, and so I think that it, it's a great time to be coming online yes. with, with your sometime, work. Sometimes I was I've been working with agencies, American agencies, because they can't imagine that people are able to do such. And some people are requesting, they're asking agencies, oh yes, I would like to visit France, Italy, and but I would like to go to on the battlefield to visit the battlefield. And you discover sometimes that they have relatives who are there. Yes. It's their purpose to go on the yes. battlefield. So this happened too. So I had a advertisement on TripAdvisor long ago, and I was building on Viator. But on Viator, I needed to be professional. I need to have this uh, professional number. Now I have everything in, since 2019. So I need to do it there. Because some agency we can be interested to, mm -hmm. to propose to their clients. Sure. Anyway, it was such. I was working for the uh, by the for the 26 division. I had a big tour, a big tour with a lot of veterans and two World War II veterans. Mm -hmm. They had difficulty to walk to everything, but they, it was tour about World War One for the Yankee and World War II. They were ending in Germany, and it was Austrian company. But this Austrian company, they did not know what to do with them. Because, of course, veterans, they wanted to see their battlefield, the church at Belo too, the cemetery, and to learn more about the battle. So they were too general. And this Austrian uh, company was contacting me. It was two company. What can you do for these people? They explained me, you have to give me a list to the people, participants, and everything. And I proposed a tour. Of course, there were whole people, it was buses, so we have not a lot of time to spend in different places. But I organized this uh, tour in Belo, of course. A lot of people were turning around, and this mayor, and everything to visit the church. Mm -hmm. Okay. of the Yankee, okay, the Yankee Division Church is very interesting for the Yankee veteran. But I uh, wanted to spend an hour and a half with them to show them the main direction for each regiment of the Yankee, the position taken, uh, a few good things about the Yankee division. Lunch in Chateau Thierry, that I organized for this company. Huh? And then uh, we went to the Argonne, went to Verdun, the fight of the Yankee division in Verdun, few places. I went full night to try to recognize everything, where we could park the car, where we could go with this, People who are old, what was the most interesting point? And we ended where the Yankee division stopped 11 November 1918, north of Verdun. They never had such tour. 
this Austrian company were very happy because without people like me, no way. Bus, Austria, Chateau-Thierry, Paris, <laughs> the Kyrgyz, and nothing else. So all these things, just because they found my name somewhere, some advice, and they wanted to try. And for sure, uh, I can do for other because I had other company, American company. Sometimes they have, they have uh, clients who, who ask the same thing. Huh? I have uh, a family from Texas, the same. It was an agency in Texas. And he said, okay, it was very healthy, huh? money, a lot of money. They wanted to visit the Champagne fountain. So Hans, big castle for staying and everything. But the grand, uh, his grand-grandfather was fighting in the 36th division, the Texas National Guard division, fought along the second division, um, uh, northeast of France in October, 1918. So he was asking to his company, the same, to his tourist company, tourist agency in the US, okay, I want to visit the Cape, but one goal of all my family is to go where well, my great-grandfather and see what he did in 1980. So there, nothing. The company contacted me. I explained everything. It was a little bit difficult to understand for them. So I got contact with a uh, with family, but it was a company uh, who booked the tour. They booked the plane, the hotels, everything. And we spent one day following each step of his granddad and his company from the Reims area across the battlefield. So it represents about a week of fight, but we want each place with photo from that time, everything. He brought photo from, uh, from his great-grandfather. So it was unique for him. He said, I will come back from Texas, bring, bring all my family. Mm. But it was before COVID, yeah. but it means some people, you can't imagine, one guy from, uh, uh, he was from Massachusetts. He came and he wanted to go exactly 100 years later. Where was his granddad? Big Red One, the first American division in Soissons, not far from Chateau Thierry, and wanted to walk all the steps on the battlefield. His grandfather has been wounded, shoots through the legs, he stayed in a ditch for nine hours, losing blood. Nobody found him. He survived at last, they brought, they brought him to hospital. But it was a dream of his life to do that. So I make it alive. He ran something in Soissons. We started exactly when he jumped out at 4.35 July 18, and we were following all the footsteps. So we did the night before. Then the next day, we, there were two days of battle. So we did these two days of battle exactly 100 years and practically the same time. And at last, we did the first one, July 19. We did all the, all the steps. He went to his BNB in Soissons with his wife. He said to his wife to bring him at 4.35 in the morning on the jump line. <laughs> so before I came back for the next day, he was doing all this in the dark, yeah. not walking the field. It was so important for him. It's, uh, he never forget about that. Wife did not like too much, <laughs> but it was, and I did so many. One time in uh, 2018 or 2019, 17 kilometers on foot with 40 degrees Celsius. But the same, that man 
His uh, granddad was fourth division, US Army. He was uh, wounded near the Bear River, it's not far away. So I was able to find exactly all the deplacements, the try used by the soldiers, where they stopped, where they were on the fire from the enemy, everything. The little tribe still exist. You need to know very well the area. So I was tracing on, on the map all the things. And I said, how we go now? Sometimes we go by car and we make stop and people don't want to work. He said, we're going foot like my grandfather. So we start from eight and something, I don't remember, 8, 38, 45. It was the same time, the same day in August, 1918. We start with his wife, we stack exactly the same path for the wood, same try. Uh, sometimes it was blocked because private property, I knew, but exactly the same place. The field hospital was in a in short mine, like we saw on the Chemin des Dames. And we ended where he was wounded on the railroad track near the river. On the railroad track, we found a bayonet, US bayonet, in the underground, <laughs> in the field. It's like, you know, it's like somebody brought us something to say, yeah. I was there. I, I believe it after having this experience. Me, I believe it now a lot since I found the dog tags in the film, Joe Cocano, yeah. Joseph Cocano. Because I said, it's so strange. These um, uh, directors, they were looking for me to find something belonging to Marines because it was a tema of the film about Belarus. Yes. So it could be just a button from the tunic, the Marine Corps button. It could be mesquite, no, mesquite can be army, or, but something belonging to Marine. So it's like you asked an archaeologist to find the pyramids. <laughs> In the afternoon, yeah. so go to the desert, find the pyramid. You have flowers. So the same same thing. He said many people were digging and everything. So it was this. I went. They filmed. Then the sun went down. It was not not enough light. The cameraman said me, "You need to go to the tree line because the sun is filtering through the tree line. It's perfect light for filming." There were three foxholes. Around it was nothing. I mean, these cartridges, uh, part of explosive grenades. And on the last one, just before we end the shooting, 15 centimeters, they found that dog tag. Dog tags could be from an army soldier, from, um, from anybody else, but it was a Marine. So to find something, to find Marine Corps stuff, it could not be better than to find the dog tags, mm. because from the dog tags, you'd start another story. Yes. You open another file with name of a person and full story. And doing all this research after when I was cleaning and everything, doing all this research and to find the family. You know, I was writing to this small town in Ohio and to try to get contact with first, this doctor could be from any Marines. No. This young man died from flu, from a Spanish flu. Later, after the Battle of Bellwood, was forgotten of battlefield. This name, I found it on the internet. It was American Legion named after him. Really? How many American Legion are? I mean, they are named often after mm -hmm. uh, people who went to World War I, but it could be one. His own name to American Legion. It was a one American Legion named after him. So, whew, you jump to another step. 
I was writing to this mayor of the town to get name of the guy who is in charge of the American Legion. It could be no response. I mean, it could be, no, 15 days I was angry. They did not respond to me. I said, no, I will try again. Somebody pushed me in this. And I tried again. I tried. At last, I got the guy in charge of the American Legion. He said, I'm sorry. I don't know anything about Joseph Tocano. I was fully angry. I said, you are in, in the American Legion. It's named after a soldier from your town, which is a small town, who died in World War I. I thought they had the portraits, and you know, in the story, nothing. But he said, I can help you. Friend of mine, he is a great uncle, died in World War I. He was a Marine. His name is Kokanua. I said, <laughs> this was a connection. And after we exchanged a lot of things until I, I went to give the plate. But it was like Kokanua was sending me where he lost his tag and to renew the contact with the family. Because think that his brother, um, when Joe was, uh, died from uh, this flu, his brother was in France too, but with engineer company in Angers. So he never went on battlefield, was, it was a replacement unit. So they were writing each other. And suddenly, no letters. And his brother was looking for three months. Where was Joseph? He was writing to the headquarters of American forces in Paris. US forces. At last, after three months, they found that he was buried near what was a French hospital at the time. He was healed from the flu, died there. Second division had to continue their offensive to the Argonne. So they left this guy who were ill to a French hospital. So he died in French hospital, he was buried by the French in the garden of this big house. I found it, huh? it's in there. And nobody sent the information, I mean, to US forces. One man is buried in our cemetery among French and the German. And so first, then he lost the connection. After this man, his older brother, so the father of, uh, of this man I met there, uh, was so, uh, he, he worried so much about that, but they did not find him. And, and he, died, he was younger than him, he died in World War I, so he was keeping in a small box all articles, newspaper articles, location of the grave, photo from him before he left the US, uh, the civilian life and everything. And this box has been buried in a cellar of this house, they still live in an original house, family. And it was buried in the cellar in a box. Nobody, nobody thought about that and uh, it was crazy. And because what I did, this tag I found, this research I did, this contact. So they went to the cellar, they found this box, and it made alive Joseph Kokanoa. They were not thinking about him. But this man was named Joe after his great uncle. So the same. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm struck by something that, that you've, um, well, you've talked about how you are bringing the soldiers or Marines alive to the mm -hmm. family, but it also seems like you are becoming a part of the families. Yes. So you have this very wide network of, mm -hmm. of families that you've become a member of their family. Yes. It's happened sometime, I remember. In, in, 
UN cemetery, we put down the flag. And uh, it was one superintendent, but he was not impressed too much by the Germans. And he was not friendly with me, this guy. I don't know why. He declared me something. Anyway. After the tour, we went down back to the cemetery. We had to take down the flag, you know, to follow the flag. It was a tradition. And I was watching, I was on the side. And the superintendent wanted to help them. They said, no, he is like a part of our family now. He will help us to follow the flag, American flag. This <laughs> guy would. Yeah, it was such. They never forget. In Bézu, we did a lot too with the Roosevelt. Uh, when we planted this tree, uh, it was what, 2018? We did the special things for Colonel Derby, Richard Derby was chosen for the second division. Uh, we did uh, all these things. And when we did that, we planted the tree, we built a bridge, markers, everything. I was. Uh, one of the first to organize with the mairie and with the Roosevelt family the plate to the church. It was a field hospital with dedicated plate. I, I, I did a lot of things for them, exhibit, conference, to bring alive all this memory to the people, to all the generations from that village. Then 2018, we decided we built the trees. They built a park, it's Park Derby, Colonel Derby Park. And they were very active, these people from the village, like them very much. I was working in a church, also with the renovation of the church, and we planted a tree. This tree is a hawk from America, right? A hawk. So normally it's a family. Um, they were planting the tree and invite me, you need to be with us to plant this tree of memory, not the bridge, tree of liberty. Specific, they could do themselves and they. No, no, it was very, very important. Make me happy to, to, to do all this because I've done a lot. But it's, I'm, I'm often very happy for these people who are in World War I. Mm -hmm. So they can see if they are somewhere there, they can see that they are not forgotten and what we are doing for them. And the connection is made again with their relatives. This is very important. Yeah, for for the the soldiers and Marines to not be forgotten, and for the families to also mm -hmm. uh, be able to be linked with mm -hmm. with their ancestor. Because you know, sometimes I had such tour. I had already always very good tours and everything. People they enjoyed a lot. But sometimes you have people very strange. I remember uh, one tour I was doing was woman with son coming on the battlefield. Their great uncle has been killed along the Marne River, July 18. He was uh, uh, using automatic rifle, shooting on the German who were trying to cross the river. And he was shot down to the river. They never found his body, his MIA. So they came, they did not talk a lot. Sitting in the car, eating. We went to different place. I mean, I did not feel emotion. I did not feel this interest. Nothing. So for me, it's 
it's strange and it's not comfortable because you don't know if you do right or not. And but all the all the time I tried to jump something, I kept directly the rest of people, you know, like professional, you jump on something when you see if it's if, if you feel that it's boring for something or you know what to do. But we went to the place, we went everywhere, we end the day. I bring them back to their BNB, the rented BNB. At the BNB, the same still blocked. Like something blocked. I said something very strange. Then they gave us pate, was <laughs> they made themselves, and glass of wine. This, with this glass of wine, she unblocked. He took a small bag. He took off the photo, the only photo of a great uncle in World War I, in his US uniform. This photo was taken when he left the US huh, in 1917. And a letter. It was the last letter he wrote to his family from the position where he had been killed in July. So it was written four days before he died, describing to his daughter what was around him. Uh, the bridge over the river, how was the river? He said, you are, you are very great to do all these drawing and painting, so you can probably do it for the family. I give you the description and you can do this uh, landscape. And he showed me all this. It was very emotional because you see this face, this young man, you know how he died. You went on the place, we saw the bridge the bridge with free arch, so you can see it directly. And after she pushed, she pushed this letter and this photo to me, I said, nice, okay, I, I, I look everything. You can take them back. He said, no. He said, I'm from one family, but nobody's interested in our relative who died. He died. He was young, he had no children, so nobody has any interest for that. I was reading that you are operating a small museum and everything, so this is for you. So you will keep and preserve memory of my great uncle. Because if I take it back to the US when I will disappear, nobody will take care and it will be forgotten. So in your hand, I know it's the right place. It was. I could not say it, so I was oof. Mm. Yeah. Because I can't I, I can't take it's it's their family, it's their relative, it's the only photo they had, and the last letter I wrote. I mean I can't be the owner of such stuff, it's need to stay in family. For me, it's right things. No, just such very special. And she did not say anything, and imagine full day in car. <laughs> And you show and no reaction, no thing, and so you feel very comfortable. Yes. What is that such? At last, you are not showing anything. Yeah. Yeah, you are being entrusted with a lot. I've seen the museum. Your mm -hmm. museum is is well, a person could spend weeks, probably months, um, mm -hmm. and 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 it's a pilgrimage site. All mm -hmm. unto itself. I mean, we've been talking about mm -hmm. the battlefield, but the but the museum, um, also the the artifacts, 
and the stories that you've collected that go along mm -hmm. with the artifacts uh, are very powerful stories. Mm -hmm. And they're powerful stories of, of young men who some lost their lives within moments mm -hmm. uh, of, of their first combat experience. Last time we, uh, the last tour we did, uh, just before that one, was with Kelly. And uh, she had three letters of her grandfather. And we know that he was gassed uh, during the World War One, but uh, she had the unity story. I opened the unity story and I was trying to look where he was on the battlefield. I said to take care and time there. And we found that story. It was a hard work because the unity story, it's like a friend story, you know, telling about one who has been wounded there, not giving a lot of detail about the military operation. But I was shaking all this. And the main story, for me, the main thing to show her, he was in the dugout in September. It's my birthday, 7th September. It was 7th September, 1918 near the Red River, 77 Division, New York. Um, they were from Buffalo. And he was in the dugouts. They were taking position when infantry troops were attacking along the river. And their goal was to shoot over the man to make a barrage with the machine gun. And he was in the dugout. So when I was reading his unity story, he was a dugout. His friend went to take food at the rolling kitchen, probably the depot, the dump, closed. And when they came to this dugout, a shell exploded, killing four of them. It was his friend. So he said, I, I could not eat anything from the day. Uh, I was in shock and everything. He was just protected because he was in a dugout. If he was just outside waiting for his friend, he would be killed. So it's very important things. Yeah. It's destiny, you know, just this part. So after I said, how was looking this dugout, how it can be, and, and I have been working very hard, and, you know, I'm very fine with research. I said, how I can find it, how I can find it. I was reading in the Unity story, the same story. They don't tell about their grandfather, but they say about these four men killed in the mouth of a dugout on that day, September 7th. And the, the only things they put in the unity story, which are not in the letter written by his grandfather, and it said, the dugout was covered with a metal sheet. So I thought, oh, so it was dug in the ground and this metal sheet like they did on huh? World War I, these things. After I say, where well, I can find it. I know they are rare, but it's large, it's, uh, you know. And I was thinking, Maybe I can find the temporary burial place of his comrade. Because of course, we will not bring them on 20, 50 meters. They had to be buried close. And I found them. I got the information. The uh, four temporary burial place. Uh, one was transferred to the hospital. I did die in the hospital not far, but I found the place. So we went there. We went there. We found the spot, we found the gut. I, I mean, we, we closed everything. Yeah. Yes. And it was a special because uh, 
he was Irish, original, and it was St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. But he had the opportunity to see yeah. where he has been. And, uh, yeah. This is very special for him. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Meaningful Journeys. This program is supported in part by Antioch University New England and the Meaningful Life Institute. We would love to connect with you on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter and Facebook, or by email, info at MeaningfulJourneys.net or our website, www.MeaningfulJourneys.net. We hope you will join us next time on our shared quest for meaning as we connect humanity one step at a time.